Welcome to the Birthful Podcast. I'm Adriana Lozada, and today we're going to be talking about birth, but from the baby's perspective. Have you ever wondered what a baby goes through when being born? It turns out that there's a specific sequence of events that occur as newborns transition into the outside world. What are those events, and why do they matter? Karen Strange has answers. Stay tuned. This episode of Birthful is brought to you by Mommy Steps Maternity Insoles, created specifically to properly support your pregnancy and postpartum feet. Receive the special 20% off for Birthful listeners using the code BIRTHFUL on checkout at maternityinsoles.com. This episode of Birthful is also brought to you by Expectful, an evidence-based guided meditation app created specifically for those trying to conceive pregnant or new moms. Reduce your stress, reduce your complications, and improve your connection to your baby and partner. Learn more and sign up for a free two-week trial at expectful.com slash birthful. The Birthful Podcast, talking to maternity pros to inform your intuition. Hello, mighty parents and parents-to-be. As always, thank you so, so much for all the love you give the show. And if what you hear is helpful and you'd like to best support this podcast, then please support its sponsors, who in this week's case are Mommy Steps Maternity and Souls and Expectful. Also, I've got an enormous, huge, huge announcement, which is that starting this week, there's going to be a lot more birthful to go around as I am going up to two, that's right, two episodes per week. The one on Wednesdays will remain an interview with a birth professional, but now there will be a second episode going live on Fridays, which will always be a story. So mostly a birth story, but we'll also be doing some postpartum stories and breastfeeding stories and partner stories. You know, it's up to you guys. If you want to share your story, contact me. Let me know which one you want to share and we'll do that. So all the things, all the stories. I have heard from a lot of you of how much you've loved the stories in the past. And so the reason for doing this is that instead of confining our stories to the summer, like I've done in the past three years with the Brit stories for the summer series, now it's going to be an interview and a story per week, year round. That's going to be the new normal. So ta-da! How's that for fantastic? All right, so now before we start, a quick reminder that if you are a birth professional in Northern California, I will be doing a full-day advanced doula workshop in Sunnyvale on Thursday, May 10th. If you get frustrated by the management of the pushing stage, or if your heart shrinks a little every time you see a client looking to the outside for direction on what to do during labor instead of going deep and connecting with the process happening inside them, then this is the class for you. It's called Rethinking Prenatals to Support Physiology and Promote Birth Ownership, and it is filled with aha moments that will make so many things click for you and re-energize how you doula. I I have heard from people who have taken the workshop that it's a real game changer. So it's not just me saying that. People have taken it and still a year later, they're like, oh my God, that was so good. So if you want to know how good it is, go to birthful.com slash workshops to learn more and register. It May 10th is just around the corner. So birthful.com slash workshops. 
Okay then. So let's now talk about the baby's birth experience. This episode in particular is a rebroadcast of episode number seven, and it is filled with so much great stuff that I had to bring it back to the forefront because with so many episodes out there, you know, birthful episodes out there in three years, this one's getting left behind, and the information is vital. So I'm bringing it bringing it forth.、Um, I'm also updating the show notes. Heads up that the sound is a bit rocky in some places because it seems Skype was having a bad day, but it's not like you can't understand. Guess the amazing Karen Strange is saying more like you're driving cross cross country with the windows down. So pretend you're doing that. I promise all the insightful things Karen had to say are more than. Karen has a unique way of presenting birth from the baby's perspective, so she's really great at helping you see through the eyes of the newborn to basically transform what you thought you knew. She's a certified professional midwife, pre and perinatal psychology educator and lecturer, and she's been an American Academy of Pediatrics neonatal resuscitation program instructor since 1992, and has taught over 8,500 people worldwide. I'm honored to have her share with us this often overlooked perspective, as well as some of her simple tools to help babies, children, and adults integrate what happens to them before, during, and after birth. Okay, here we、go. happens to them before, during, and after birth. Karen, welcome. Thank you. Nice to be here. So glad to have you. So let's take a few steps. So usually, even before I go there, I'd like to just take a moment to have a little pause. I know we only have a little moment of time here to share, but it's it's really important to just take a moment to pause and slow down for just a moment. And in my classes, I usually just take a breath and notice where I'm sitting, just to allow myself to be present so that I can really be with all of you. And so, those of you that are listening, I invite you to take a little breath before we begin. So, how did this all begin? Well, let's see. I became a, a midwife. I trained in 1988 in El Paso at a very high volume birth center on the border. I experienced、um, a lot of births.、Uh, I had a small home birth practice, and I learned to become a neonatal resuscitation instructor way back when. And one of the things I noticed when I started teaching neonatal resuscitation is how much fear there was around resuscitating babies, and、um, it really became a drive of mine to figure out how. How do you teach this in a way that works with the fear?、Um, And that took many years to learn how to explain it and how to teach it and do it in a way that actually supported not only the baby but supported the practitioners and the, the parents. Part of that learning was in El Paso, where I worked on the border. We did a high volume number of births, and it being on the border, we tended to see a lot of complications of pregnancy and labor and birth and postpartum. And when I left El Paso, I realized I had some fear around birth,、um, and I was trying to figure out how do I heal that? What do I do with that? And、um, eventually, what happened is I started to do. Experience some of my own、um, 
birth work. And I begin to learn a little bit about my own birth. I was at a birth workshop, really trying to heal my own birth material. And um, I had the experience of seeing people experience their birth. And it was a little odd and a little silly. And one of the things uh, I learned from this particular person, Barbara Van Dyson, is that that we have our memory in our body. And the memory in our body starts from very early on. And it, we have an implicit or cellular memory. And our implicit or cellular memory starts from the beginning. And Bruce Lipton, a cellular biologist, would say conception through 18 months of age. At 18 months of age, explicit memory comes on board. Explicit memory is, a, oh, I remember that. Before 18 months of age, it's implicit. Implicit is a cellular, um, fluid, bone memory, in your body memory. And it's in all of us. So at this birth workshop, I was seeing people do some birth work. And I remember noticing nobody was talking about the mother which was very difficult for me because as a midwife, it's all about the mom, even if we're really nice to the baby. It's all about the mom. And then as I saw each person sort of doing this little birth work, I noticed that people were expressing what it was like for them, either in utero or doing the twist and turns of the birth canal or what happened when they came out. And pretty quickly I noticed Nobody was talking about the baby. And I got it, that there was a baby's experience of birth. And the baby experiences birth and makes a decision about life, depending on what happens at birth, from that, and lives from that point on, from that decision from that point on. And so wait a second. To, to, to clarify, you were saying that in the workshop, these the people who were there were talking about their experience when they were born they weren't talking they were actually going through a little birth tunnel and expressing mm -hmm. what it's like for them at their birth and this was this was really shocking to me that i didn't i didn't know it i mean i was one of those people that's very careful with babies and light and delicate and soft and touching but i didn't really get it the babies were having an experience and so that was an aha moment for you it was it really changed everything for me because I thought oh my goodness imagine neonatal resuscitation if those babies are really having an experience and I thought oh my god I've got to start including this in what I teach and and um with my clients as a midwife and of course, I don't know if you know anything about this, but as soon as I started talking about it with my um, clients who were pregnant, I was still doing birth back then, everybody just felt guilty. I didn't want them to feel guilty. I thought, how do we talk about this? How do we change um, how we see what happens at birth without creating this guilt? And um, so began my journey in learning how to, um, not only how to talk about it, but what are some specific tools that can help mothers and um, care providers manage, deal with, heal, integrate 
what happens because things don't always go as planned as all of us know. Sometimes things happen even when it's the perfect birth. Whether you're at home, whether you're in the hospital, it doesn't matter. You could have, a, let's say, a long labor or a long pushing stage or a precipitous labor or a hemorrhage or a resuscitation or um, many of the things that can happen in the hospital. And so what I have come to learn over the years, yes, doing my own healing, but also really learning about memory when that starts, learning about healing, learning about the nervous system, is that much of what I teach is really ancient intuitive knowledge and it has sort of gotten lost over the years as we've moved birth into a more medical perspective but I always go back to the same thing it's all about optimal survival of our species that's how we were designed by God or nature or whatever you believe in that we were set up to survive optimally and embedded in the birth process is not only how to give birth, but where healing takes place naturally if we allow it to happen, even if things indeed, didn't go as and planned. That, indeed. And that is it's such an intricate process that trying to give the space for that healing can be really tricky. Um when you may, when other things come into play, like fear and guilt and all the emotions, it's such an emotion moment. But I love the fact that that there's that you bring it back to healing. So let's take a quick break. When we come back, I want to talk more about those tools and also a little bit more about muscle memory. We'll be right back. If you're pregnant, you may be discovering that you have aches and pains in parts of your body you didn't even know you had. The hormone relaxin that's coursing through your body to make your pelvis more flexible for birth is also causing all your joints and ligaments to be more supple. Now between that and the added weight gain, it's no wonder that your feet, your ankles, your lower back are sore a lot more of the time. Unfortunately, not much you can do about the changes in your body, but there are is lots you can do to lessen the aches. One of those things that can really help are the specially designed mommy step maternity insoles as they cradle and support your foot to alleviate pain caused by these structural changes. Something that's unique about these insoles is that you can heat them up a bit in your oven so that they will mold to your own feet and you can remold them up to three times so they can adapt to your changing body throughout pregnancy and even postpartum. Now, even though I am not pregnant, I really felt the difference in the support after I molded mine. I've had other insoles before, but I feel that the molding that is unique to the Mommy Steps Maternity insoles really made these also, the Mommy Steps Maternity insoles come in two styles, one for athletic shoes and another one for dress shoes or flats, so you can be supported in all your shoes. Mommy Steps Maternity insoles is offering Birthful listeners a special 20% off. Just use the code BIRTHFUL on checkout at maternityinsoles.com. And we're back talking with Karen Strange. Karen, one of the things that was in my mind from when you were talking earlier um, that I wanted to ask you about was muscle memory. Is that connected also to muscle memory, the memories that you are seeing? Yes, it is. It's muscle memory. It's uh, connective tissue memory. It's the fluid in our, our body memory. It's the felt sense memory, which is different from, I remember that. That's a different memory. 
That's the memory that we have at 18 months of age. Up until 18 months of age, it is implicit, not words, body memory, muscle memory. And it's interesting because that remind like that reminds me not in the oh I remember this but after my birth, um, which was very natural and completely, but still it's it's an intense process, right? <laughs> we all know this. Yes. Um, and I found the few weeks or months afterwards that if I thought back on it, um, we, I could feel in my body kind of thing and not feel the intensity, but sort of the feelings that I was feeling when giving birth would resurface. Yeah. So that would be a body memory, but really the memory I'm trying to talk more about is the memory before we have words and have all of that in place, which is what happens with babies, that babies have implicit memory of what happens before 18 months of age. So they may not have the, I remember that. And so um, one of the things I will get back to, but I want to mention because you mentioned it, is that your birth, while it was a a nice natural birth, was really intense. And I, I like to really say that even when birth is perfect, it's still a really big, intense experience for both mother and baby. And that requires a little integration, even when it's perfect. Because I've never really found anyone to have the perfect prenatal, the perfect labor, the perfect birth, the perfect postpartum, the perfect childhood, the perfect <laughs> education, the perfect marriage, the perfect life. There is no perfect. <laughs> exactly. So all of these tools, all of um, that, which I'm going to go over in just one more second, is true about our whole life. It's just that I'm in the birth field and it kind of starts there. So Mm -hmm. I was thinking I would just start with a little bit, um, uh, a little bit about transitional physiology and then weave into the sequence of birth because that is kind of how it all goes, that there's a um, species specific sequence of birth that is true for all mammals and embedded in the sequence are places for healing and integration. Go for it. Okay, so first I'll just start with simply when babies in utero are not breathing. They're um, getting their oxygen through the placenta, and the lungs in utero are um, fluid-filled. They're very small. The little lungs are fluid-filled, and all the little blood vessels that surround the lungs are very constricted because all of the exchange of oxygen is happening through the placenta. So then when the baby comes out and the baby's born, it goes through a pretty tight squeeze if it goes through vaginally, right? And when there's constriction, there's very little blood flow. And some blood backs up into the placenta. And then when the baby comes out, there's this blood in the placenta. It's warm. It's pH balanced. It's highly oxygenated. It's filled with stem cells. It goes from the placenta, it goes through the cord, it goes into the baby, it goes into the constricted little teeny tiny capillaries that sound, um, surround the little air sacs, which I said, remember, were fluid filled, and the blood goes in there and it dilates and pulls open those little air sacs that were fluid filled. And what actually happens is there's a pressure difference between 
the air sacs and the capillaries. And so the fluid gets drawn into the capillaries. And this is what begins to clear the fluid to which the breathing finishes off. So the blood goes into the capillaries so the babies can then become air breathers. That's the big thing. They have to become air breathers and do their oxygen exchange through the lungs. The remaining blood, about half of it, goes to the lungs, and the other half is going to go to the rest of the body and do the work that the placenta did, like digestion, elimination. Uh, it's going to go to the intestines, the liver, the kidney, the spleen. So it's a, a big transition that happens for babies. They're going from fluid-filled lungs to air-filled lungs. The blood that goes through the cord into the baby is the baby's blood. Mm-hmm. And it's about, mm-hmm. simply put, about 100 milliliters of fluid, which uh, I was trying to figure out how to do that over the air. I would say if you use um, uh, those small canning jars, the ones that people often put jam in, that's about... Um, the amount of blood the baby gets at birth. Which is also about, do you agree that it's about a third of their total blood volume? Yes. Yes, it's about a third of their total blood volume. And, you know, I'm going to say that most of the blood goes to the baby within the, you know, really, if they have a good pulsing cord, it goes into the baby within about 20 to 30 seconds, most of the blood. Which is not a long time at all. Not a long time. There is some fluctuating, and it's complete at about four minutes. And, you know, depending on the study you look at, they say somewhere between two and five minutes. Mm-hmm. But uh, I do want to add something here. It's, you know, we're looking just at blood volume. And um, Jaap van der Waal, who is a Dutch embryologist, anatomist, and an MD, says... There's more going on that you can't see than you can see. Because you can really only see what technology has the capacity to measure and visualize, right? And so right now, all we're doing is measuring blood volume and red cells. But really, there's much more going on. And um, a quote that I say often in my lecture is that birth was set up to work in case no one is there. And I always refer back to that, that within the system, it was set up to work. I love that quote. Could you repeat it? Birth was set up to work in case no one is there. And I always refer back to that in every aspect of birth. And it includes the physical transitional physiology of what's happening. That that while we focus on the blood volume, and really maybe only two to five minutes is necessary, there's more going on. And so the next question becomes, what would happen if birth happened and no one else was there? Chances Mm -hmm. are nobody's going to be cutting the cord. I mean, let's go back 150 years. Nobody would be rushing to cut the cord. So there's probably many other things happening right in that particular moment. And I want to say one more thing before we switch on to the sequence. So typically what happens, even in home birth, because most midwives leave the cord intact for a little while, typically what happens at birth is even if we leave the cord intact, Once the baby comes out, it's usually where the rushing starts. 
Baby comes out, everybody starts drying the baby and rubbing the baby and suctioning the baby and stimulating the baby and all the moving, more stimulating. Everybody's making loud sounds. And it's where our heart is beating rapidly. Anybody that's mm -hmm. in the room, their heart is beating rapidly because that is an implicit memory. Because what's coming up in everybody in the room is the memory of their birth is coming up. And everybody's heart is beating rapidly. So I say this is one of the really important places to take a pause because it's going to be something like 98, 99% of most home birth babies just need a moment. And the mom and even also needs babies a moment. In the Absolutely. I'm going to talk about that in sequence. Uh -huh. but, but the point is that Birth was set up to work. So if nobody was there, after a moment, the baby would most likely come around. And uh, I do know that I'm, I'm balancing between doing nothing and um, doing when it needs to be done. I'm a very big proponent of that. That's something I teach a lot about. But I also hold that birth was set up to work and often we just need to take a moment. Even babies born in the hospital with all the things we do to mom, most babies just need a moment. I mean, if it were you, and you just went through this really big, intense experience, it was a lot of work, maybe it was tight and you had to crawl and crawl and it was long and dark. When you came out of that hole, don't you think you'd like a moment? <laughs> Absolutely. So describe to me a little bit more of what that moment would look like that moment so i usually just say so you assess the babies are coming out if it's the 99 percent of babies that just need a moment well then you better have a practice like how we started the show maybe you could just take a breath maybe you could instead of rushing to touch the baby just notice is there a floor in the room are you on it just something for your body to take a pause and slow down because the baby feels everybody's energy in the room. I often say it's not just what you do that matters, but rather how you are on the inside. And that's what babies are tracking. So our job is to become aware of what's going on inside us. Mm -hmm. And this is one of the first places. I'm going to bring it up two more places, but I'm, I think it's time to move on to the sequence of birth. So, so understanding that it's our job to um, make sure the cord is left intact. And I've given Adriana a, a great website that she's going to post on um, how to get informed. Yep. And even if you have a doula or a midwife, I'm going to say do not leave it up to them. You as the parents are the engine that makes it all happen. So while they can support you and your choices, you have to become really clear about what you want done at your birth. So leaving the cord intact and taking that pause. That is all part of the birth sequence. I'm, I'm not really going to talk about the period during um, the prenatal period, but I now just want to talk about how we come into being. One quick because question 
before you move on in terms of the cord clamping, do you find that that two to five minutes also relates or, or is extended if there's been more interventions or more drugs or is that just for any type of birth? Well, um, you know, I usually go into a lot more detail in my class, but um, you can milk the cord if it's a thin white cord. Um, it's going to be pretty hard to get them to leave the cord intact if there's been um, uh, a compromised baby, though there is more of a trend. There's two hospitals in the United States that now have uh, a bed that can be lowered so the baby can have its cord attached while they work on the baby because mm-hmm. the move is perfusion before ventilation. Let's make sure the baby gets its blood before we ventilate resuscitate before cutting the cord. That is the trend that's happening. We're moving in so, the right direction. Yes. And it's, and it's happening here in the United States. And I happen to know both doctors in Southern California that have just incorporated these beds and are really fighting to keep the cord attached. Premature babies, sick babies, resuscitated babies, all babies need their blood volume. Remember it's their blood. What would happen if you lost a large volume of your blood? That's they one of the it. key things. Once you get, they need it. Well, you need it for your organs to work. You need a certain amount of blood volume circulating so that your heart keeps beating. And I just want to say you, you have to really fight for it in most hospitals. Not all. I teach in a lot of places where, where they will do um, leave the cord intact now for five minutes, but you really have to get educated and fight for it. So that would be one of the things I highly recommend. So, Fantastic. And I also have an episode all about cord clamping. So I'll link that in the show notes as well. Karen, let's take a quick break. We'll be right back. Mighty Ones, want to know my solution for resetting my nervous system? It's meditation. But you might be asking, what is so great about resetting your nervous system? Well, if your nervous system spends more time in high alert and doesn't get back to a baseline often, then your body is in constant state of stress, which is, of course, not healthy. I have quite a bit of sustained stress in my life, and so I find that meditating is a super easy way to make sure I break up those stress signals. You may be thinking, that sounds great, but I have no time to meditate. The good news is that if you have 10 minutes, then you have time to meditate. And it becomes even easier when you use a meditation app like Expectful. I have tried other meditation apps, and I really like how the Expectful app is designed to fulfill your pregnant or new parent needs by focusing on whatever you need at that moment. Whether it's better sleep, connection with baby and partner, embracing your identity, lessening stress, dealing with uncertainty, Expectful makes it super easy for you. Plus, I really love the voice of the person who reads the meditations. Go to expectful.com slash birthful to sign up for their free two-week trial and check it out for yourself. Don't forget to add the slash birthful part so they know who sent you. And we're back talking with Karen Strange. So Karen, what's next on our talk? So I want to switch to the sequence of birth and to just say there is an embryological blueprint for how we come into being. We're all kind of familiar with that in terms of gestation. We know it happens, right? Conception, cell division, cell expansion. It all happens without us even knowing. And I want to say that that, um, that also happens as part of pre-labor, labor, 
birth and the immediate postpartum. And what I mean by that is within the blueprint, the embryological blueprint for 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 gestation is also an embryological blueprint for how to be born. Within this blueprint is a sequence. It has to go according to the sequence. It can't go out of sequence. Just like you can't have cell division before cell expansion. That's also part of pre-labor, labor, birth, and the immediate postpartum. Sequences building the brain and the nervous system are actually sequence dependent. Within the sequence are pauses or points of integration. And one more thing about this blueprint is it unfolds within the embryological forces which occur at a much slower pacing. So how we form actually occurs slowly. And anytime you plug into that slower pacing, it is healing. That's why people with catastrophic illness will do guided visualization and meditation to plug into the slower pacing. All trauma work is done at slower pacing. Mothers in labor are in that slower pacing. Babies' brain waves are six to 10 times slower than ours. They're in the slower pacing. So just to know that, again, birth was set up to work in case no one was there, then what would happen if the birth happened and no one else was there? So I like to think about what happens embedded in the birth sequence. And to know that mother and baby interactions are extremely complex and precise, like a computerized program. That comes from a, a website called breastcrawl.org. Complex and precise. Not important. It's exact. And if you were to take a computer program and change one zero, it wouldn't work. So my goal is in supporting what happens in the birth process and more importantly, what happens after birth, because it's really hard to control birth, but you can almost always have impact after. So how do you do, if, if something goes, you know, not as planned and there's more separation or there's no time for that pause or that cord gets cut that somehow throws it, throws that birth sequence for a loop how can you or can you repair and integrate later on? So so first, what you kind of have to understand about the blueprint is babies usually, not always, but usually come out and there's a pause. So to be thinking, well, if nobody was there, where would she give birth? Most women, if nobody was there, would probably give birth in a more vertical position and in a more vertical position, she has the ability to take a pause. Her baby's probably going to land on the ground if she's in a more vertical position. So the baby's safe. The mother can take a little pause. And normally I, I um, simulate what, what the mother does, and it's very funny. But she usually has a pause. She takes a breath. Whew! Whew! And usually she's in like in a squatting position, right? squatting or leaning or bending over but more in a more vertical position the baby goes down she can like take a moment to realize she hasn't split open mm -hmm. right it is a big deal pushing a baby through that big that little hole it doesn't matter what baby number it doesn't matter what size the baby is it's a big deal and most women need a moment after she's had a moment she's gonna want to look at see what came out 
this is part of the sequence. It's easy to see if you look at some mammals on uh, YouTube being born. She has a pause, she looks at her baby, then she starts touching delicately with her, her fingertips the edges of the baby. This, of course, can be done even if you put the baby in the mother's arms, but to really get that there is this pause, because it's a big deal. It's also happening for the baby. So let me explain the baby and then we'll talk about tools for healing when it doesn't get to happen. So babies, you need to know that um, they're going from fluid in the lungs, new circulatory pathways are opening, circulatory shifts are occurring, changes in hemodynamics with blood volume are shifting and changing, and most of all, their senses are being turned on. Dr. Nils Bergman, the um, famous kangaroo mother care doctor, says that at birth, all the senses of the newborn are exquisitely primed to receive new stimuli, and the infant fills everything maximally without filters. And so the, the simple little um, um, scenario I give is being in a flotation tank. Flotation tank is a big tub of water. It's warm water. It's filled with salt. You can really relax. It's enclosed so that it's dark and it's padded so that it's quiet. And when you come out of this, you as an adult, come out of this tank where actually it's very relaxing, there's going to be somebody there to greet you. And um, they're preparing for this all day. And they um, bought new towels to dry you with and a hat and uh, they made your favorite food and they've got music on and they bought the new phone with the flash on it because they want to immortalize this moment and when you come out and oh one more thing they're very excited about seeing you they are very excited <laughs> about seeing you they can't wait to see you so anyway, it's time for you to come out. And, you know, they're very nice. They're very nice and sweet. And they open the door and they help you out. And when you come out, they start drying you and rubbing you and putting the hat on you and giving you kisses and offering you food and the aromatherapy and the music is going on. How do you think you might feel? Just a little tad overwhelmed. Yeah. And that word never gets missed because that is what's going on for babies. It's too much. Again, think if birth was set up to work and no one was there, if no one was there, nobody would be touching the baby. For a moment, they would get used to being out. Birth was set up to work. Most babies just need a moment. They don't need towels. They don't need hats. They actually need to cool off for a moment because their oxygen needs. They've been inside a warm mother. They're, they're warm. When they come out, their oxygen needs. So for a moment, how do we give them a moment? It's huge. This is a, and it goes right along with the cord because here is the place where everybody should be taking a breath looking around the room, reminding everybody in the room to take a breath, to show the baby how to breathe, as opposed to a room where everybody's holding their breath, waiting for the baby to breathe. So then if you take the pause, even if the baby goes on the mom's stomach, though I don't think that would happen if no one was there, 
Mary Esther, I don't know if you know Mary Esther Malloy, she's from um, New York. She says you have to exhale the birth before you can inhale the baby. But it's kind of a, it's totally awesome. It's, it's a sequence. And each sequence is built on a less complex to more complex. It's like you have to finish one piece, integrate, because you can, before you're going to feel the impulse to do the next step in the sequence, because birth is not over with the baby coming out. There's a little more to birth. But before we move into the next step, you have to integrate the enormity of what just happened for both mother and baby and actually everybody in the room, right? It's a big deal. The baby finally comes out. He's breathing. We've made it. And then what will happen after you, after the baby has integrated what has happened to them, up until then, then and only then, Will they feel the impulse to move forward in the sequence? And the impulse to move forward in the sequence is to head to the food. This is true of all mammals. All mammals will head to the food after a period of rest. It's part of the sequence. So again, there's that the embryological forces, the sequence, the integrating what happened, and babies are slow. So they're gonna head to the breast slower. So before I explain uh, the baby heading to the breast, I want to say this place of pause. When mother and baby go back together, this is a really critical piece because sometimes babies are taken away from their mother or maybe the mother had a hemorrhage or um, maybe she just wasn't ready. Maybe she was in the hospital. Maybe they took the baby away. Maybe maybe it was a premature baby. Maybe it had to have some surgery. Well, what's really important to know is that when mother and baby go back together, that is where the healing begins. That's part of what is known as the first hour, the healing hour, the sacred hour. It is critical. And when the baby goes back onto the mom, whether it's a day, two days, three days, three weeks, three months, whenever mother and baby go back together, that's where the healing begins because babies feel safe in one place. And that is their mother. That's it. Babies not in their place feel terror. So you learn to incorporate this pause so that when the baby finally comes back to you and you can settle down, then the baby gets the experience. Here's that implicit memory. The baby gets the felt sense of, I made it. I'm safe now. It's over. Then they don't need to keep taking that with them. The only place they're going to be able to separate that is on their mother's chest. If the mother can settle down, not watch TV, not chat around, but to really just settle in and let the baby feel its environment. Its environment is how its mother feels. And that's our job as mothers, is to create a safe space for babies. And that healing can happen at any time. Yes, anytime. And I will say, you know, the longer the separation, you are missing the oxytocin hour. So you probably need to do more skin to skin. Skin to skin turns on the critical sensory needs of the brain. It is 
critical for healing. Skin to skin, not a towel, not clothing, skin to skin. So in the hospital, let's say they resuscitate the baby. When they bring the baby back to the mother on the chest, no clothes, and stays there. Not for an hour, as much time as possible. And the longer the baby's been away, the longer the baby needs to be skin to skin. It heals the baby. You could use those words. You could say you made it. It's over. You're safe now. Those are critical words to say. You could say that actually to all babies after birth because birth is a pretty intense experience. You made it. We're so glad you're here. You're safe. I'm going to protect you from now. I'm here for you. Mm-hmm. And even you the mom saying those words, it changes her and her anxiety or how she might be feeling and gets her to a safe place as well. So it really works both ways. And if you're a doula or a midwife, you could say that to the mom too, because, you know, sometimes birth brings up stuff for women emotionally, brings up past uh, incidences, traumas. Um, Sometimes it's just so intense. C-sections, for instance, that's one of the key things you could say. Uh, Remind me, I'll put put the name of the book that has some of these healing words. Um, But you could say to the mom, it's over. You made it. That was hard. You're reflecting back that you get that she just had this really big, intense experience. And it helps to have somebody reflect that, have empathy, to name and differentiate that it's over. Mm-hmm. I'll I'll Uh give you the name of the book. It's called Verbal First Aid, When Every Moment Counts. And uh, she wrote one for children, Verbal First Aid. Those are simple little things that could be said. You know, even a perfect home birth, some women, it takes time. It's over. You made it. Slow. Remember, slow. You got to say it's slow. That's where healing occurs, slowly. So then... I want to mention, after the baby's hung out on the mom for a while, what will happen is the baby's going to head to the breast. And I'm just going to sort of skip all the things that happen in the journey to the breast for the baby. But the and I'm going to, I'm actually going to yeah. supplement right there and tell listeners to go back a few podcasts and listen to the one what I did with Addie Sandink on laid back breastfeeding. And that'll answer some questions of that. So we've taken care of that already, Karen. Uh, Yes. Okay. Well, good. So um, I want to add another proponent to laid back breastfeeding. It could be called self-attachment, supported attachment, um, baby led breastfeeding. They all have multiple names. It doesn't matter what you call it. It doesn't even really matter when you do it. It's meant to happen at birth. It can happen later. It can happen weeks later, months later, years Later, actually, babies, children crawling up your leg is a self-attachment sequence. So a couple of things happen in the self-attachment sequence. I'm going to just say, okay, the thing with self-attachment is this. It is not only innate, species-specific, 
a biological imperative as well as part of the birth sequence and actually necessary for optimal development of the brain. It turns on the critical sensory needs of the brain, which leads to higher learning, but it is also part of how we organize ourselves and a natural repair because babies are gonna tell the story of what just happened to them on their journey to the breast. Again, if it were you, and you just went through this big intense experience, maybe it was hard, maybe it was long, maybe it was difficult, maybe you needed help, maybe you got stuck. When you came out, and after you had your pause, whew, don't you think you might wanna tell someone about what that was like? <laughs> That's what the baby's doing. They're telling you about what happened. And even if nothing big happened, I'm going to say that birth is a big experience. Even if nothing big happened for the baby going through that hole is a big deal. And they want to tell you about it. So have curiosity for what the baby is showing you. What is she telling you about her journey? Perhaps hold this desire as your baby's starting to you know, lick and move her little leggies. Hold this desire. I want her to know that I am listening, that I hear her, that I see her, and that what she says matters to me. Because babies are always communicating with us. I didn't really go into how they do that. And what the most important thing is to have empathy and reflect back that you get that the baby had an experience. And reflecting so back, yeah, reflecting back is such an important, even with, with older children, even just letting them know that I can, I see that you're crying or I see that you're having a hard time or I see right. just being heard. Right. I hear you. I see you. What you say matters to me. Oh, I, exactly what you said. I hear you. You sound frustrated or Oh, that looked like that hurt. And you also make your face look like that. Those are the mirror neurons. This is how our brain heals. Empathy is one of the key things for healing. So your baby is crying. You you don't say, you're going to be okay. You're okay. It's not a bad thing. You don't say that. You say, oh, and you scrunch up your face like, oh, I see. That looked like that was hard for you. You could do that when the baby's born. Oh, I'm so happy you're here and you're breathing and you don't look so happy right now, right? It isn't all about me, the mother, and my experience. I get it that maybe the baby's having a different experience. So I'll just wrap with this. Uh The key Uh in understanding all this is not that you have to do it perfectly because really you can't, it's impossible. (laughs) But you can always make space for the reconnection. That is the repair, being emotionally available, slowing the pace, the story getting told and heard and having empathy. And I've um, passed on my my, um, simple tools and a a little handout from Myrna Martin on a story, how children show or tell their story. And I I often like to say, it's like blueprint imprint. We come into being according to a blueprint, something happens. That creates an imprint. If the story about the imprint doesn't get told and heard, it's going to get told, heard and acknowledged, babies are going to keep showing you and they're going to start living the imprint. 
But what happens in self-attachment is as babies are going to the breast, yeah, they're going to start feeling either what got missed or sped up or got scary. And they're going to show you the imprint. Your job is to have reflection, have empathy for their experience. When they start crying, you listen to them. And then they no longer have to keep telling you about it. So they're going to feel the blueprint through the imprint. And they're going to follow their way to the breast. So breast crawl, to me, is actually more important than the birth. Because it's the place of healing. It's where babies get to tell their story. It's where babies get to integrate their experience. It turns on that which got missed at birth, maybe due to um, uh, a long labor, a long pushing stage, a precipitous labor, maybe being sucked out or cut out or pulled out or drugs on board or um, a hemorrhage. or Maybe all of them were necessary. I'm not, I don't even want to make them right or wrong. Maybe they needed to happen for the birth to occur. Self-attachment, if you really get how critical it is, it's like you make space for the baby to tell you what happened, to integrate what happened, and to move forward so they don't have to keep repeating their experience. So if I could change one thing about natural birth, I would let everybody get it, how critical, not only physiologically, but psychologically, the self-attachment sequence is. That was a lot of material. (laughs) That's a lot, but thank you so much for being so generous with your knowledge. And if listeners want to know more and connect with you, how can they do that? Uh, Well, they can go to karenstrange.com. So uh, can I just say one more thing? Sure. I've sort of run over, but I didn't uh, incorporate this into the lecture. I just want to say how critical it is to tell the baby what's going to happen before it happens. This is true of children, adults, but also babies, to let them know what's going to happen ahead of time before it happens. This is true of babies inside, babies outside. We need to know what's going to happen before it happens. Like, you know, we're going to take your blood pressure. You would say that to an adult. You wouldn't just grab the mother's arm and do a blood pressure check. You tell her. So anything you do to the mother, the baby's having an experience of. So always talk to the baby. They are conscious and aware and laying down memory in utero. So babies inside, babies outside, children, adults, talk to them. Tell them what you're going to do. If you're going to go to the hospital, if you're going to have some drugs, tell the baby what the baby's going to experience. Let them know ahead of time. It changes the imprint to know ahead of time. It's not as frightening. Mm -hmm. Takes away that fear of the unknown. Yes. Or just all of a sudden feeling the drugs or feeling the knife or uh, the forceps or or, um, the long labor. So... Yeah, or even the transport, right? If you're a home birth, it changes because the baby's just going to feel the fear. They're not going to know why. Well, you know, we have to go to the hospital and, you know, I'm disappointed, but my goal is to keep you safe. And But you can probably feel that. Well, then the baby's not going to take that on. That's huge to know. Mm-hmm. Just like you would tell your child, 
what you're going to do before you do it. You don't just give them medicine. You say, I'm going to give you some medicine. It's going to help you, or we're going to have to set your arm. Or You always tell them ahead of time. So that's true of babies in utero. That's true of newborn babies. That's true of children. That's true of your partner, your friends. You always tell them what's going to happen before it happens. I'm going to change your diaper. Uh-huh. Take a pause. Babies' brain waves are 10 times slower than ours. They're still just catching up. So some of the handouts uh, and the reference. References I gave you will go into much more detail than um, on that. Fantastic. Okay, Adriana, thank you. That went a little longer than I planned. That's okay. It's so interesting that we're happy you did. Great. Thank you, dear. Mighty Ones, I love to hear from you. So share with me your thoughts, and if there's a certain topic you'd like to know more about, let me know. Go to birthful.com where you can learn more about me, the show, Patreon member benefits, send me messages, and more. I'm also on Facebook or Twitter as at Birthful, so come say hi. And if you are in Northern California, come spend the day with me on May 10th. Go to birthful.com slash workshop to learn more and register. This episode was produced by me and made possible by you, the Birthful Patreon supporters, and by the wonderful people at Mommy Steps and Expectful. To best support this podcast, support its sponsors and get discounts while you're at it. Go to maternityandsouls.com and use the code BIRTHFUL to receive a listener special of 20% off and go to expectful.com slash birthful to get a free two-week trial. The title song for this podcast is Vive Ace by Kevin McLeod and the sponsorship song is Air Hockey Saloon by Chris Tabriski. Find them both at freemusicarchive.org. Also, the Birthful Podcast is part of the Parents on Demand Network. Find out more at parentsondemand.com. I'm Adriana Lozada. Please join me Friday when I'll be talking to a mighty parent as they share their amazing story here at the Birthful Podcast. Because we can do hard things. Thanks so much for listening. Hey, Mighty One. Did you know that if you started listening to one birthful episode per day at the start of your pregnancy, your baby would be about three months old before you got through all of them? That is so much birthful. So to ease us into the summer and to help you catch up on your listening, we're going back to releasing one episode per week instead of two. Now you know.